The reading this morning, the reading this morning is the Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for the joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and exalt him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. And the mountain speaks belongs to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your father tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go stray, and they had not known my ways. So I declared to not in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have uh, a Bible that you like to use, uh, keep that open. We'll be looking at uh, Psalm 95 together, or it'll be on the screen, uh, if that's your preference. Uh, as you, you might well know, uh, many of our members are away this week uh, in Jerusalem for the GAFCON conference, the Global Anglican Fellowship Conference. I think that's right, isn't it? Uh, about 10 or 15 people, I think, are in Jerusalem. So if you're anything like me, you're trying not to think about them so you don't become jealous uh, to wake up on a grey Christchurch morning and be thankful for being here, uh, not in Jerusalem. Uh, but it's wonderful that they can be there as uh, uh, over a 1,000 people from all over the world gathering for a really important uh, time of fellowship and encouragement. So please do keep praying uh, for not only our members, but for the whole conference this week. Uh, Jay's away, James is away. So you've got me this morning. Uh, I feel said to someone before, I feel a bit like Stephen Donald at the World Cup in 2011. <laughs> but uh, I was encouraged when someone said back to me, that worked out okay, so uh, it should be fine. Let's, uh, let's pray before we look at God's word. Father, we do uh, thank and praise you that we can be together this morning. And we pray that as we hear you speak to us this morning, that by the power of your spirit, you would enable us not to harden our hearts, but to hear what you have to say to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might be uh, forgiven for wondering these days, what does it mean to be Anglican? Speaking of things like conferences in Jerusalem, and many of us will know the things happening in our denomination, what does it mean to be Anglican. So let me start this morning by offering one way that we could answer that kind of question. Uh, I have a little book here, and uh, this would test the eyes of even the people in the front row, but does anyone recognise as a copy of this that looks a bit the same and can guess what this is? This is the... Well, you're cheating, you're in the front. But this is, this is the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, this is uh, the, essentially the liturgy of uh, the Church of England as it used to be when this book was first written in the 16th century, uh, written by, for those that know, Thomas Cranmer, excellent. 
Uh, and it was written uh, 16th century in a time and a place where the expectation for people in England was that they would go to church every day, uh, morning and evening, or at least the hope was that that would happen. And so in here there, there is a, a liturgy and order of service for what's called morning prayer and evening prayer. And when Cranmer put together morning prayer and evening prayer, in fact, when he put together this whole thing, the basic organising principle of the Book of Common Prayer is to saturate people in the Bible. That was Cranmer's notion. When you, when you went to church, uh, he knew the Bible was the word of God. So when you gathered as the people of God, the fundamental reason for gathering was to hear the word of God. And so he put it together in a way that... <clears throat> Uh, between uh, morning prayer and evening prayer over the course of the year, just by going along uh, and listening to the readings of the, of the scriptures, you would hear the entire Old Testament read once, you would hear the entire New Testament read twice, you would hear the Psalms read in their entirety, entirety every month. And so at this point, if you're thinking, well, doesn't that mean that to be genuinely Anglican means to become more and more biblical, you would be absolutely right. That is the core of what our heritage as a denomination is. But for all of that, in the liturgy that Cranmer put together, one chapter of the Bible stands out. He appointed one chapter of the Bible to be read every single day. Does anybody know what that chapter is? We've given you a pretty good clue this morning, by the way. It's right. It's Psalm 95. Uh, this psalm is the Anglican's everyday psalm. So why? Why did Thomas Cranmer think that out of every chapter in the Bible, this was the one that you should read every day? Or maybe you've already thought about that. Maybe you've worked it out from listening to the reading. But keep that question in your mind as we work through Psalm 95 together over the next few moments. We're going to look at this psalm in three sections. We're going to look at a call to sing, a reason to sing, and a call to hear. So a call to sing, a reason to sing, and a call to hear. So the psalm begins, verses 1 and 2, with a call to sing. Uh, the picture here is of God's people encouraging each other to sing praises to God. Uh, see what it says there? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. God's people here are commanded, encouraged to sing for joy and to do it together. It's always been that way uh, and it still is that way today. As we come to the New Testament, we read commands that when you gather as God's people uh, in Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3, one of the things at the heart of what we should do is sing praises to God together. When you read the book of Acts, you read of the early church singing together. Uh, you read of Jesus and the disciples singing hymns together. The Bible is clear that to be one of God's people is to be a singer. Now, thankfully for people like me, it's not a command to be a good singer. <laughs> it's just a command to be a joyful singer. To be filled with such joy at being one of God's people that it spills out in song. And it is such a delight, isn't it, to come together as the people of God and to see people in church singing together, raising their voices to God, to encourage each other, but to sing praises to God. 
And yes, we, we can do that in ways that are culturally fitting for us. You know, we're Kiwis. We, we don't have to dance around like other people might like to. We can be a little bit reserved in the way that we do it, but we still sing for joy. We still sing to encourage each other. And so please, if, if you come to church and you're one of God's people, don't be too reserved. Don't be too embarrassed. Don't be too stoic or too cool or too Kiwi or too anything else to not sing in whatever way you're able for the encouragement of others and in heartfelt joy to God, sing, raise your voice. And yet, as we think about doing that, we do have to be honest that we don't always feel like singing. And I'm not just talking about because we're embarrassed or because we're you know, too manly or too cool or whatever it is. Sometimes we come to church and we're miserable. Sometimes we come to church and we're filled with fear or we're filled with doubt or we're filled with sadness. Life is hard in a thousand different ways that can leave us feeling that way. One of the best short Christian articles that I've read, I would say in the last decade, is by an author called Carl Truman and it's called What Can Miserable Christians Sing? Uh, when you get home, Google it. You can find it online. It's fantastic. Uh, what can miserable Christians sing? He wrote that article because he wanted to say that cries of lament need to have a place in our church singing. Let me just read you a couple of sentences from that article. He writes, By excluding the cries of loneliness, dispossession and desolation from its worship, the church is effectively silenced and excluded. The voices of the voices of those who are themselves lonely, dispossessed and desolate, both inside and outside the church. By so doing, it has implicitly endorsed the banal aspirations of consumerism, generated an insipid, trivial and unrealistically triumphalist Christianity and confirmed its impeccable credentials as a club for the complacent. Pretty right, isn't it? The great news is the Psalms, we're in the Psalms today, you won't find anywhere more honest about the hard things of life than the Psalms. You won't find anywhere that encourages you more to bring your laments and your grief to God. The Psalms themselves acknowledge that lamenting is a big part of life. And yet, through all of that, this Psalm and so many other Psalms encourage us that whatever pain we are going through, for the Christian, there should be a, a kernel of praise that can sneak through it all. Always a ray of light that can break through even the darkest cloud because we always have something to praise God for. And that's the second point, our reason to sing, our reason to sing. What do we have to sing about as far as this psalm is concerned? We have two things. The first thing is, we can praise God as the creator and the owner of all things. Uh, that's the focus of verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Pretty simple idea. God made it all. God owns it all, including you and me, and therefore he is infinitely worthy of our praise. Very, very good for our humility, isn't it, to remember daily our status as creatures, that we are not in control that God made us and he owns us just as much as he owns the seas and the mountain peaks and everything else that he's made. Good for our humility, 
but also very good for our praise of God. So remember that there is one God who made everything, controls everything, and our creation around us testifies to that. But our reason to sing doesn't stop there. Yes, God is majestic and powerful and glorious in creation, but we're told to worship and kneel before God because he's not just a great God, he's also a good God, a personal God. See verse 7? Israel as a nation could get together and declare he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And so in a flash we've moved from those sweeping images of creating seas and mountains and we've moved to this picture of personal and tender care and love. God poured out his love on Israel in a special way so they could know him personally, so they could know him and his compassion and his love to them. And of course, for us today, how much more clearly, how much more specifically and directly can we know those things, the love and the faithfulness and the mercy of God in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And our cry to God can go a step further, can't it? It's not just that we're, we're his people, he's our God, we're the sheep of his pasture. We can say we are his children. He is our father. That's the invitation we have in the gospel is to call God father knowing that the the very same God who made those mountains and those seas and the the far reaches of space has come near to us in the person of his Son who gave his life to save us, to bring us into fellowship and relationship with God. God isn't just powerful, he's also personal. Not just majestic, but also merciful. Not just glorious, but also gracious. Gracious. Don't you think it's incredible that we live in a time where enemies of the gospel use psalms like this one as one of their reasons for rejecting God? What I'm talking about is people like Richard Dawkins, who was in town last month, as some of you know. Uh, I went along to hear him speak with a couple of other people from church. And he wheeled out all of his usual criticisms of Christianity throughout the night, including this one. He says the idea of spending eternity praising God sounds awful. Uh, I think the language used was describing God as a celestial demagogue, Uh, you know, some kind of celestial demagogue who just sits back and tells people to praise him and gets angry and upset when we don't do it. How insecure and horrible must such a God be? Who would want to do that? Well, like pretty much all his criticisms of Christianity, they miss the point. And this one misses the point in at least two ways. One is the call to praise God isn't for God's benefit. God is not lacking something that he needs us to supply by praising him. The call to praise God is for our benefit. When we praise God, we encourage each other, but we enhance our joy. We give full expression to how we feel in the same way that saying I love you to somebody enhances and kind of completes that love. When we praise God, we're bringing our joy to completion and fulfilment. So it's for our benefit that we're told to praise God. But the second way that criticism misses the mark, people like Dawkins seem to have the idea that Christians are dragged, kicking and screaming against our will, to praise God. Instead of understanding, we have so much to praise God for. What else would we want to do 
what else would you want to be at the heart of your eternity than seeing God clearly for who he is and praising him accordingly? How could we not sing for joy? This is the God who's at the heart of the universe. He's a God of care and mercy and grace and love. We have so many reasons to sing for joy. But if this is who God is, we don't just have reasons to sing, we also have reasons to listen. And so while our psalm opens with a call to sing, it finishes with a call to hear. A call to hear. Open your mouth in praise, but also open your ears. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the psalmist goes back to Israel's history uh, to show that failing to listen to God's voice was pretty much in the DNA of God's people. Uh, Those references to Meribah and to Massa come from uh, Exodus chapter 17 and from Numbers chapter 20, key times in Israel's history where they had experienced the blessings of God, experienced the love of God in saving them and making them his people, and yet they grumbled against him. They turned away from him, complained about what he'd done didn't follow the commands that he gave them. And as the ending of the psalm tells us, God is not indifferent to that kind of behaviour. God is not indifferent to whether or not his people listen to him and obey him. When they ignored him by ignoring his word to them, it meant that he was justly angry with them. Not mad in the way you and I get mad or we fly off the handle and it goes way too far, but justly angry in his righteousness, in his holiness caring in the way that he should care when he's ignored. And so failing to hear God's voice has the biggest possible consequences. So the psalmist warns, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. And it is sad, isn't it, when you read through the Old Testament, almost laughable in a way, to see the way that Israel responds to God after all that he does for them and the way they grumble so quickly. And you could say it's even sadder today when we see those around us who are supposed to be Christians, who claim that they're Christians, doing the same thing with all the clarity that we have in the Bible and the complete picture of God's love that we have for us in Christ. How sad it is when people still today harden their hearts against God's word. And yet before we reach out to take the speck out of other people's eyes, we do need to stop on this one, don't we? And we need to look in our own eyes, see if there might be a log in there. Because this isn't just a warning for people out there. This is a warning for every single one of us. That's certainly how Thomas Cranmer saw it, as he was thinking, what do we want people thinking and feeling and hearing and remembering every day? And I think in some ways, surely for us today, this is even harder the idea of hearing God's voice and not hardening your heart, this is even harder for us today simply because we live in such a distracted age. Uh, One survey that I read this week estimated, this is American, so you've always got to say America's a little bit out there, but the estimate was that uh, the average American every day sees 4,000 advertisements. That boggles the mind a little bit, doesn't it? 4,000. Although I did realise I was reading that on a website where at the bottom of the article, as I finished, there were nine ads lined up in a nice little neat row right at the bottom of the article. So maybe it's true. 
Uh, the desire to constantly check our phones is an actual addiction that people feel. You might have felt it while you're listening to this talk. That's entirely possible. The, the voices are everywhere. It's TV, radio, newspapers, online, magazines, when you check your email, when you look at social media, billboards and posters that you see around you. There are voices everywhere bombarding us with ideas on how we should live and what we should devote our time and our energy to. And you combine that with just the general pace of life that we're expected to live at these days. How do you make space to hear God's voice? Let alone how do you make sure that you're not hardening your heart to what it actually says? So on one level, it's right to stop and ask, am I hearing God's voice? Do I read it on my own or do I listen to it as I'm driving around or whatever works? Do I come to church? Do I get to Bible study? Do I find ways to actually hear God's voice? But we do need to push deeper, don't we? Because the way it's phrased in our psalm is not just focusing on hearing, but on what you do next. Are the voices that we hear around us combining to, to draw us away from responding properly to God's voice? What about not outside, but inside? the sin that lurks in our own heart. Is that stopping us from hearing God's voice? Do we harden our hearts to his promises or to his warnings or to the vision of life that God gives us in his word and of what really matters? Or do we instead listen to our creator, listen to our heavenly father with those soft and receptive hearts where we're desperate to hear his voice and desperate to live his way where we know, like Jesus says, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And do we do that daily? That's really the push of this psalm, isn't it? Today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's not about resting on our laurels from past spiritual performance, you know, thinking back to a time when I was really going well and I was listening to God and making sure I went in the right direction, but maybe not so much now, but I know what it is in the past. This psalm says, today. Today hear, your, hear the voice of God. Hear those words that give life. Hear those words that point us to Jesus Christ. Hear those words that warn us of the dangers of sin and take us in the way that's everlasting you can start to see why Thomas Cranmer thought that this was a good part of God's word to hear every single day. Because whatever day it is, it's called today, and today is a good day to hear the word of God. And this psalm, of course, gets picked up in the New Testament. It gets picked up particularly in Hebrews, in chapters 3 and 4. Now, we're about to finish. We don't have time to look at all of this. But if you, if you read through chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews on your own sometime, you'll see that this psalm gets quoted five different times just in the space of just over a chapter, five different times. Bits of this psalm get pulled out and quoted. And four of those times, the line that gets referred back to is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Something that we need to hear over and over again, obviously, is the writer to the Hebrews thought. Now, because it's, it's quoted several times, several points are made, it's, it's worth looking at yourself. But let me just take us to this one point as we finish from the book of Hebrews. So in Hebrews 3, 
the second half of the psalm gets quoted in, in its fullness. And then in, in chapter 3, verse 12, the writer says this, chapter 3, verse 12 of Hebrews, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another. Remember our psalm opened with that call to sing together? Well, here is a call to hear God's voice together. God gives us each other as a great gift for living the Christian life. Nothing is more important in the Christian life than listening to the voice of God, making sure that we hear God's voice and that we don't harden our hearts to God's voice so that we're not dragged away by sin's deceitfulness or even that we might let go of Jesus as our saviour entirely. But God intends for us to fight that battle together. He intends for us to help each other in that battle. So how can you make sure that you're hearing God's voice and not hardening your heart to it? But do take the next step and say, how can I help somebody else? Who can you help? How can you help someone else? How can you encourage someone, as long as it's called today, and there's probably a lot of todays left to go, how can you encourage someone before Jesus returns, as we wait for the end of our todays, how can we encourage each other to hear the good and the life-giving voice of our great God and to obey him? Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank and praise you for the gift of your word and we thank and praise you for the gift of each other. And we ask, Father, that you would help us not to have sinful, unbelieving hearts. We ask, Father, that you would soften our hearts. We ask that you would give us time and opportunity to hear your word and help us, Father, not just to hear it, but to obey it. And please help us to see what it would look like for us to encourage each other to do that. As long as it's called today, help us to love and serve each other and to sing your praises together in these ways. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.